Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guests Hot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now, today we're going to be reflecting on Tottenham's 1-1 draw against Everton on Monday night. We'll also be discussing the manager search and then previewing Saturday's Premier League home clash against Brighton and Hove Albion. Alice the Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hasn't hasn't been the, uh, the greatest of uh, fortnights or so since we last did the podcast. We should just explain. Guesty was off and, and very, very busy. Uh, last week, so we weren't able, unfortunately, to to fit a podcast episode in. We're going to try and make up for it today by pouring over all of the absolute madness that is Tottenham Hotspur. Um, yeah, yeah, it wasn't the greatest night in the world at Goodison Park. Uh, maybe it was for some people uh, sat next to me uh, in the press box, but uh, yeah, we'll get into all of that with the match. Um, so much to talk about since we last did a podcast. So many things have are different. I'm trying to think, did we do one since Conte actually went? I think we. we... No, the last one we did, <laughs> uh, Conte was still in the job. I think it was literally after the free-free draw against Southampton because Conte went at the end of that week on on the Sunday night. So we've not done one since. So obviously, Conte was still in the job. Fabio Caratici <laughs> was still at Tottenham. Tottenham were in the top four. It's all changed since then. I hope I hope nobody's absolutely relying on our podcast for all of their information. <laughs> <laughs> Just to let you know, yes, there's a different manager in now. Uh, the managing director of football can no longer manage or direct the football. Um, and Spurs aren't even in the top four anymore. I haven't even got that little bit of kind of that nugget to cling to uh, because after last night's results, they are now back outside of top four. But let's be honest. It was one of the greatest mysteries of this Premier League season that somehow Spurs were still in the top four despite the utter chaos they constantly were finding themselves in. Um, so maybe slightly paint some more realistic picture now. Um, but a huge game this weekend as well. I, I'd actually go as far to say, and we'll talk about this later, I think this could be the one that defines the rest of the season. I'd go as far to say that. But we'll discuss that uh, towards the end. Yeah. Uh, let's start with Monday night then. 1-1 draw at Goodison Park. Tottenham looking on course for all three points, courtesy of Harry Kane's penalty midway through the second half. Uh, but then Michael Keane scored an absolute rocket in the 90th minute and it was a game Tottenham really should have won given they had uh, a one-man advantage for 30 minutes or so in the second half. But... In the end, they sat back and that proved costly. Uh, Ali, as you were sat next to me in a very snug press box at Goodison Park, <laughs> uh, give us your thoughts, first of all, on the uh, performance and the result. Yeah. Well, just to paint a picture um, of that press box that Guesty is talking about, just in case, you know, first off, may I say, we're not complaining about the fact that we're getting into a stadium or a Premier League match for free whatsoever. 
But it's fair to say Goodison Park is is one of the older grounds still <laughs> operating in the uh, Premier League. It's uh, It actually reminds me a little bit of White Hart Lane. It's got that kind of vibe to it. The press box. Imagine opening a can of sardines and finding a load of journalists in there. That's pretty much the Goodison Park press box. It's... Yeah, it's a very tight fit where, thankfully, it was quite a kind of a chilly night. So we were all very much pressed against each other um, and using each other's body heat pretty much to survive the night. But the match itself, um, I don't, I think actually probably encapsulates Tottenham's season nicely. There was an absolute absence of an ability to create chances, uh, an ability to hold the ball in key moments an ability to keep their head when they really needed to. I mean, let's be honest. That time, the period of a good 10, 15 minutes after um, Decore was sent off was has to be up there with the most pathetic instances of Spurs just playing football. I've never seen a team sit back when they've just had a man... Well, just, let's say, we'll give them the, the penalty. That was just after. But after the penalty, I've never seen a team sit back against 10 men. That is uh, that is a new low for me <laughs> to watch Spurs players. And look, I wrote about this in my talking points the other day. I can't believe that every single manager is telling these Spurs players to sit back. I just can't believe it. We've got quotes, we've seen it, we've seen Kane come out and say that they do it, it's not the manager telling them, we've seen Lloris talking about it, um, I'm sure I've read other players saying it as well, various managers have said we don't tell them to do this. What is it mentally that they just sit back, it's like a comfort thing, is it a fear thing? But my goodness, when it's, I, you know, you said it to me during that period, it doesn't look like Everton are the team with one less man, it was just incredible. Spurs managed to make themselves look like they had seven men and they were just like, quick lad, just pack in front of the goal and they won't score. It's like, no, no, no. This is the period where you need to get up the pitch, stretch Everton, get the ball out wide, use it. And it was like, it's almost like, and this is probably going to be the most disturbing thing for people that hoped maybe we'd see a little bit of a change with Conte no longer involved, is that they didn't look like they'd worked on any attacking structures or patterns of play, anything. They didn't have any clue how to get the ball near that goal. Um, I'm trying to think of moments where the keeper was really tested, Pickford. I'm struggling. I think, obviously, Sonny had a chance save, but he was offside anyway. Was there anything else other than the penalty? I think the only notable chances I can remember was obviously Kane having a shot cleared off the line by Michael Keane in the yes. first half and then the header what yeah, flashed true. wide. Other than that, it was a very quiet night for Jordan Pickford. Oh, it was honestly, he could have just rocked up and, and just sat there and in a deck chair, quite frankly, because that for me was the most disappointing thing is that I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, they bottled it, they showed no fight. I don't actually agree with that part. I do think that was one of the things we were talking about before the game, that my biggest fear was that Everton were going to scrap for everything and Spurs were going to maybe turn up and not have that same fight. I don't actually think that ended up being the case. I did feel that they scrapped for long periods. Uh, look, don't get me wrong. I think a team with more quality up front would have given them far more problems. But I did think that they tried to battle for stuff. Where they failed for me was just a complete lack of... It's almost like a desire to get forward, which was the scariest thing. 
when you know you've made a change at the top um and and this is the thing it's it's as close to a kind of a, a free hit that Christian Stellini and Ryan Mason can have now because I think the Spurs fan base, unless I'm wrong, obviously the Spurs fans base is so bred to be pessimistic because of the way Tottenham have been over the years. I think they probably don't think that Spurs are going to get top four. So it's almost a free hit for Stellini to like, Okay, let, let's let's at least play some football that gets them enjoying it again. Let, let's at least do that. And that was the biggest takeaway from Monday night for me. It's like, oh my goodness, this feels like more of the same. Other than the fact that they were doing these very very short um, goal kicks with Lloris just passing it either side to Longway and Romero to try and bring Everton out, stretch them. It's like, okay, it's almost like you're showing us this one thing that you're doing different, but actually nothing beyond that is particularly different. Um, there were a lot of players that just were not on their game. Um, and I just worry about this divide between the front three and everything else. There's almost so much pressure on Hoybier and Skip to kind of create when they're not naturally creative players. Um, but, you know, it just goes back to the age-old thing. How, many, how, how long have we been crying out that Spurs could do with an attacking central midfielder just about to come in? You know, obviously everyone wanted Madison in the summer and it's just uh, it's just like everything that you kind of predict that is probably going to happen, unfortunately, is happening. But uh, who knows? With another week on the training ground, we may see something different. I think we need to. Yeah, very much so. It's always going to be a, a really tough game for Tottenham at Goodison Park, as they usually are. Uh, Everton, you know, although they are down there in, in a relegation battle, they have been playing really, really well under... Sean Dyche, a lot of energy uh, from the team getting into the opposition's faces. They've always been in games except for like the Arsenal one where they lost 4-0 away and then Liverpool away as well. Uh, and I was saying in the press room before, if Tottenham aren't on the game, they will not win here. And I was saying that to someone and he looked at me like I was stupid. <laughs> like, what are you on about? But no, credit to Everton. Everton played well. Uh, as I was saying to you during the game, when Tottenham were winning, Tottenham don't really deserve to be winning this game because no. for me, Everton were the better team, had the more openings on goal. They went obviously in the final third, they were struggling a bit, uh, didn't take the opportunities that had come their way. So you can maybe say, yeah, a draw was a fair result on reflection, but it was a game Tottenham should have won, especially when you 1-0 up. There's games when you need to sit back and hold on to a lead, you know, when you're playing the likes of Man City, Arsenal, someone near the top, but not when you're playing a team who were down the bottom with 10 men. You go for a second. The last thing you do is invite pressure onto yourselves because, as I was saying, there was always going to be one or two chances that had come Everton's way in the last 25 minutes because they were going to be pushing. I don't think anybody's expected it to be like five or six chances just because Spurs were sitting back and, you know, probably Sean Dyche and Everton couldn't believe uh, what was happening. And I think on the Athletic, they put out some telling numbers from, you know, after Tottenham were leading 1-0, I think, uh, Touches in the final third, Everton had 79 compared to Tottenham's 22. In the opposition box, Tottenham had 
free compared to Everton's 13. This was after Tottenham were leading 1-0. That just shows you, you know, the tale of, of the game. And yeah, it was a big, big opportunity missed uh, for Tottenham. I know there's there's games in the season where you, you know, you play really well and you don't win. And there's other games where you play badly, but you do manage to get the result. And at the end of the day, there's only one stat that matters in football and that's the scoreline. Everton, yeah, had more shots on target, had more shots. But this was a game Tottenham should have win. The game management was so, so poor in the last 20, 25 minutes. And yeah, they got what they deserved from it in the end. Yeah, I'd like to take some responsibility because I've just remembered that Janet, the very nice Uber driver that took me to Goodison Park ahead of the game, <laughs> demanded I gave a score prediction, which you know I don't really like doing because I'm normally rubbish at them. And I just remembered I told her 1-1. So it's very much, um, I'll accept some of the responsibility. Janet as well for pushing me into making a prediction needs to take some of the heat. I'm sure, I'm sure she's listening to this podcast now as a, as a Liverpudlian Uber driver, it's probably high on her podcast list. Um, it was just, honestly, I, I just go back to it. It encapsulated everything bad about Spurs this season. The chaos in the game, you know, the two red cards. Um, just even even the Everton red card. More people seem to be talking about what Harry Kane did than the fact that it was just a red card. <laughs> just, it doesn't matter kind of, you know, whether you, you get scrunched or pushed in the face, whatever you go down. uh it's, it's, yeah, that's a whole other thing which we'll talk about. But, um, you know, to have that chaos, to have that inability to hold a lead, to have that inability to push on when you really need to. And oh, less, you know, we've said this a billion times, but the motto is to dare is to do. <laughs> it's come on. Could you be any more opposite? Could you be more of an antithesis of your own motto to kind of meh is to do, to sit back is to do? It's just, ah. Oh. And this is the big problem right now. And, you know, we're going to talk about season ticket prices and everything later as well. But right now, Spurs are doing nothing to justify people even paying to watch them. They're just so, so boring and so predictable in that, you know, look, I, I was saying, I, I was looking at the, you know, we're talking about numbers. There's a really weird thing now. And obviously everyone can say that stats can be padded to make them look in it any way you want them to. Um, but even the numbers right now is that Spurs, where have I got it? They've only, they're fourth in the form table. Oh, they were actually, this was before last night I wrote this. So they were fourth in the form table for away matches, despite the fact They've only won five games out of like 15. It's just like weird little things like that. They had, again, I stress this is, I did this just before um, the matches last night. Should have really looked at updating them, to be honest. Uh, they had the third most wins, which I think will be fourth now because of Newcastle. Um, and even the goal tally, you know, was like, is right up there. But none of that seems to have actually been reflected in the performances. It's crazy. I mean, they've only lost two of their last nine Premier League matches. But it feels like they've lost so many more because there have been so many games that they've just thrown away through their own lack of daring to do. Um, it's just... I think the word, the phrase I used in my piece after the game was depressing inevitability. They're just... almost sounds like Everton in the middle. Just depressing inevitability. Um, 
uh, it was. I, I did feel, as always, I feel like I'm saying this a million times this season as well. I really feel for those fans that travelled all the way up there to watch that as well. Because, again, you could hear them throughout. They were giving it everything themselves, and they kind of served that up. Um, this needs to be a huge week on the training pitches. They need to imprint so much more into their play and what they do. Um, because, look, Stellini's... <laughs> is somewhat also in a difficult spot because if he comes out there and says, yeah, what Conte did was rubbish. Let's have the Stellini era now. He knows that, let's be honest, the likelihood is that in the summer, Stellini is going to head off and, and be back with Conte and whatever his next job is. So he doesn't want to burn that bridge. But at the same time, you, you've got to give the Spurs fans something. And if that is more Ryan Mason having more of a voice, um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I know... There's a part of me that wonders, could they have done it the other way around? Could they have had Ryan Mason as the acting interim, whatever they want to call it, head coach, with Stellini assisting him? I know that would not have looked great with Stellini having just done the stint where he was essentially in charge. I know from the outside that doesn't look great and Stellini it might not have sat well with. But I do wonder whether with Mason having the slightly more dominant voice, you would have seen a bit of a different Spurs. Um, I don't know. Look, I... It could all change this weekend. Huge game this weekend. They could turn it around in a different way and uh, we could have more positive things to say. I mean, he said himself after the game, you're not going to change things overnight. Um, but uh, it's difficult. I was about to say they had a whole week, but I guess with some of those international players, they only had a matter of days, didn't they? A few days after some of them came back to work with them. But it was just the worrying aspect of I mean you spoke to Lloris after the game as well didn't you and he spoke about continuity um I, I could be wrong because I wasn't there in the mix zone with you I was in the press conference but it was almost like the questions were trying to say but you know fresh late new staff new people and his answers just seemed to be nah more of the same really was that what the sense you got yeah I think continuity was probably the key word there it does very much sound like is more of the same of what they have been doing. Obviously, as you said, last week was probably only a couple of days uh, good training for them because a lot were on international duty, so it's always staggered uh, returns for them at Hotspur Way. But I think this was probably the concern for Tottenham fans that when Stellini was appointed as acting head coach, what I think everyone was really surprised about because I think when a manager departs, everyone expects you know his whole backroom team to go as as well. But obviously, Stellini's still at Tottenham, and I think the worry was, well, given he's worked on the Conte before, is there going to be a change? And it looks exactly the same at Goodison Park. The team was pretty much the same, although there wasn't really a lot he could do with it given yeah. all the injuries at the moment uh, but the performance was you know pretty much the same certainly wasn't eye-catching it was really frustrating at times uh, Everton looked the better team you could probably question who was the team who was actually down in 18th in the Premier League table you know when, when you're watching it, it really wasn't good from Tottenham so Things do need to change. It's just a question of whether the will or whether we'll just carry on seeing this Tottenham for the remaining nine games of the season. Oh, I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> um, 
But what I would say, they were both getting so angry on the touchline, Stellini and Mason. You know, you could we could see them in front of us. Mason was just shouting and going mad, and he was kind of shouting at Stellini. Not in some people took that slightly wrong way from my kind of article, as if they were going like, "What are you doing, Christian?" He wasn't saying that. It was more like just frustrated with the players, and he was kind of it was almost like a "What are they doing?" thing because there was clearly a plan that had been set out. And the problem we spoke about it the um, the goal kicks. So the idea of the goal kicks was to spread it out wide to Romero Longley, just like little five, six-yard passes. And then they'd play it to the fullbacks or the midfielders. And because Everton had been drawn forward trying to press them, there would suddenly be these little pockets of space. Unfortunately, often the passing in that next phase was absolutely horrendous. There were a few times when Hoybier, he would just swivel and just hit the ball aimlessly into a space where nobody was. Um, Skippy the same. Uh, That was... Probably one of the games where I didn't think Skippy was really at his best at all. Um, But like I say, you're kind of forcing these tidy engine room midfielders who've got a lot of other talents, just but trying to force them into people to really thread passes through. And I do think they've got it in their locker to a degree, but they're not the people you would turn to naturally to do that. Um, and yeah, you could see them getting more and more wound up. Mason was kind of shouting, doing this thing. That we saw it when Sanchez came on against Milan, this kind of flinging his arms out, like, what, what, what was happening? Um, and Stellini, I watched him at one point. He reached down to grab a water bottle after, I think it was Skip had run back, got the ball with his head, intercepted it, and then somehow the ball had ended up going out for a corner to Everton. It was just a complete kind of catalogue of errors down there. Stellini reached down and he grabbed this bottle of water. It was like, I actually thought he was going to pick up the water and strangle it. It was so aggressive the way he grabbed the water and then was trying to kind of open it. Um, And I think, I think there's a little part of Stellini that wants to have a similar Conte rant as Conte did after Southampton. I can feel it in him. It's bubbling underneath on the surface, but because he's got this really strong relationship with the players I don't think he wants to burn it in the way that Conte did but I do think there's a lot of frustration in there about the way they're going about stuff but then like likewise the players could maybe argue similar it's like like Son had another really kind of tough ineffective game um in this season for him and you do wonder was there not a way to tactically tweak it to get more out of him on the night Look, I, I still stand by the fact that I think his confidence is low at the moment. He's doing some of the basic things not as well as he normally does. But I had a lot of Korean fans, some very nicely putting their point across, some not so nicely putting their point across, that were showing me that they're, they're, very, um, they're very obsessed with the heat maps and player positions, average positions, which is fine. I get that. And, um, and it does constantly show that Perisic is more advanced than Son. Um it's I, I do I think we can I think we can definitely acknowledge that the Perisic Son partnership has not worked as hoped. Um uh, it's really difficult. Yes, Perisic is playing more advanced than Son at times. If this if you know these average um positional charts are to be uh, believed, and there's there's no reason not to believe them at all. But I still feel like well, on one side, yes, Stellini can get in that system to get more out of Son. Um, although I'll be honest, your wing backs a lot of the time probably should be very advanced up the pitch. That is kind of the point of them. Um, however, yes, Son should be playing further up. I think that's almost the thing. I think 
I've got no issue with where Perisic is, but then Son should be further up the pitch. Um, and that comes down to one of either two things. Is Son naturally drifting back or has he been told to sit back and be compact? If he's being told to sit back and be compact, then obviously you're wasting a lot of the ability of someone who was you know, one of the Premier League's best. So that needs to be something I need to unlock. Whether it is purely an injury thing in terms of when the injured players come back and maybe they're able to switch to a back four, maybe that unlocks Son in, in a 4-2-3-1. It's a better way of utilising him. Um, or even if they switch to a 3-5-2, you know, bring Saar in and you, and you sacrifice someone like Kulisevsky. Kulisevsky, I kind of felt, I don't know about you, but I felt like he was the one most likely to make something happen, but just wasn't able to. Did you feel that? Yeah, I thought he had a few good touches, a few good turns uh, in the final third, but just nothing really came of it. I thought Perisic put in a couple of good balls, uh, notably that one for Kane's header in the first half, and I thought Porro made some good runs. I think he put a ball across that Pickford, you, you know, managed to stop with his foot early on. So you could say there were a few positives in terms of what they were doing, but it was just the... Uh, the output really you just want a bit more from them and but I mean it's always going to be a tough tough game for him against you know an Everton team who've done okay under Sean Dyche of late the the strong defensively you know what you're going to get with a Sean Dyche team at the back so they did make it tough for Tottenham at times uh, but yeah I agree with you in terms of Kulisevsky you know showing a few glimpses of his quality but it just wasn't coming off for him really I hope everyone's enjoying this latest episode of Golden Guest Praise Everton because it's, it's really nice. It's, it's yeah, but they have been playing well. They have yeah, been playing no, well. I've just winded you up because everyone knows you're an Everton fan. But yes, no, um, they were they were they're good. I think if you if they just had an attacking presence up front, I think they'd be absolutely well away from um, any danger right now. But uh, yeah, I was just thinking about that. It's like with Spurs and the formation they're playing in right now. We've said this before, but so much of the creativity has to come down the flanks. Um, And when you're putting pressure on one set way of trying to attack, it must be so easy for opposition teams to counter that. All they have to know they have to do really is kind of, is is pretty much you flood the box. You could flood the box and just in front of it, create problems for any crosses coming in. You're going to get the odd one like Kane's header in the first half, but on the whole... It's an avenue that's not going to really produce any results because there's too many bodies in there. It's not. It's not going to work. Um, and this is why this has been the big problem with Spurs, hasn't it? Really, has been the no plan B. And this was another game where you saw that. And it's almost like the plan B is, if there is one, it's give it to Harry. He'll do something, and just hope that he'll come deep and spin this amazing ball into someone's path. But then, hey, if, if Son isn't an advance of him. And Kulisevsky isn't really one to run past and run through and score. That's not really his game. Um, you know, it's a strange one. You know, there's this Netherlands international chap on the bench who apparently Conte was telling us only a couple of weeks ago is is very much a uh, a support striker. Um, maybe that's another option. But uh, there's going to be a point where the whole Dan Juma thing just becomes so weird. And, you know, the fact that Lucas was brought on and did what he did, it was like, I bet Stellini was like, oh, man. It was like, they're just going to say, why didn't you bring Dan Juma on? Um, Oh, that red card was ridiculous. 
Honestly, I don't think I've seen a worse seven-minute cameo from any player this season. Um, I remember everyone who took a pop at Winks. Was that against Everton in the FA Cup? Yeah, was that the 5-4 game where he yeah. came on? He was obviously spraying balls about and they were just, you know, going nowhere or... Yeah, or that, and he got yeah. caught out of position a few times. Maybe yeah. it's something about Everton. Um, but, yeah, Lucas. Oh, my goodness. I mean, tell you what, let's talk about... Should we talk about the, the first red card? Well, we need to get onto these red cards. Um, you know, as, as a man of the Everton faith, uh, did you have any issues with the uh, the first red card? No, none whatsoever. It was a red card. Uh, yeah, the red card. You raise your hands, you're getting sent off. Uh, so, yeah, for me, no questions about it. I know a lot's been said about Kane in wake of what happened. And, you know, in real time when we were watching it, yeah, he struck in the face, he goes down. But then having watched it back on the slow-mo, it's a bit like this, like a split second after he's been hit where he's like, oh, I'll go down. So I can see why yeah. some fans are maybe, you know, uh, saying, why did he go down? Too easy. But if the Little shoe was on... For you. I was going to say, it kind of ties in probably with what you're about to say. Dan from the Evening Standard uh, asked this question as well. Is uh, Should Harry Kane be held to a higher standard because he's England captain? Or are we unfairly saying that, oh, you know, he's done this again when maybe probably most players would do exactly the same thing? If the shoe was on the other foot and it was Kane who struck the Kore, I either wanted the Kore to go to ground. It's mm. just, it's to get them sent off, isn't it? It's gamesmanship. That's what you need to do to get an advantage. What was Jose Mourinho saying? You know, nice teams don't win anything. You've got to do yeah. these little things. Yeah, it might be a bit frowned upon. It got sent off anyway, but I think Kane was just making sure he got the red card. Maybe his reaction wasn't the best where he was like lying on the ground holding his face for a few seconds. Maybe he went down to his haunches, maybe, and had his hand on his face. Maybe yeah. so, but I've... Ultimately, it's all redundant, isn't it? Because it was yeah. a red card offence anyway. Yeah, it's red card. There's no complaints from me whatsoever, and I don't think anyone can really complain. No, Daesh came straight out and said it was a red card. Michael yeah. Keane afterwards, I saw in his interview, said it was a red card. And kind of on your point there, as a few Spurs fans have drawn attention or tried to draw attention to, which obviously it's too late to do so, but on there was a challenge on Perisic. I can't remember who did it now in the first half. Was it Coleman? Um, I think Might it have was. Been Coleman. I, think, I thought it was, but I didn't want to say it in case it wasn't, just to kind of slander his name with it. But... <laughs> that was a challenge that wasn't too dissimilar to the Lucas one. It was very high, kind of ankle top of the foot, very late, and Perisic didn't really go down. It was one of those where he went down in stages kind of afterwards, like quite a while after. And you, yeah, I guess that leads you to the natural thing was, had he gone straight down, made a massive deal of it, would they have looked at it in more detail? You'd like to hope, or think that VAR would look at everything regardless. But I do think there's a natural proclivity to just look at stuff that there is more of a fuss around because they're worried that, oh, if we if we don't properly look at this. I don't know, I could be doing them a disservice, but do you remember that challenge? Uh, I don't really remember it. I've seen the picture going round on social media. No. So I'd have to watch it back but looking at the picture it doesn't look good but on Lucas's challenge 
that wasn't a good one at all. That's just straight oh, red. Yeah, you just you can't say anything about that. Just going back to the Kane one. Yeah, similar to when Jose Mourinho was manager at Old Trafford, didn't Martial, you know, strike Lamella in the face and he went yeah. down. Not as much was made of that from everyone. Very similar. It he just got a bit is of Kane, a, a bit, a bit of not not as much as this one with Kane. I wouldn't say. No. So yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. The Lucas one though, ah, there's a tiny, tiny, tiny part of me that understands where he and Stellini were coming from afterwards. I saw Lucas did a little thing on Instagram, didn't he? Um, it is one of those where. If you do, you're trying to, you're in the heat at the moment, you're trying to get that ball. If you slightly mistime it, you're done. And that was exactly what happened. And it, and it just results in this horrible challenge. Uh, so I kind of get that. But I think the problem mainly was it was just a challenge that didn't need to be made. There was no reason to launch in, um, what was it, midway between Everton penalty box and the halfway line. Yeah, yeah. It was like, why yeah. would you la- lunge in there? There's no need for it. And yeah, unfortunately, I think pretty much the six, seven minutes that preceded it was just Lucas running around like a headless chicken as well, which didn't help his cause. He contributed nothing to the performance. Um, and as people are saying, and I understand this logic, is that we all know that Lucas is going this summer. You know, if if he was staying, Spurs would have taken the option to extend his contract. You know, he's had some wonderful moments for Spurs and he's got experience. I absolutely do not doubt that. But in that scenario, when you've got Dan Juma, um, and, and he also, this is the irony as well, was that Lucas came on on the left, didn't he? Replaced Son. So you actually have someone, Lucas we kind of think of as more of the right-sided player anyway. And you've got this guy whose name, you know, rhymes with Don or Anjuma. Um, just put him on the pitch. Give him a go. This is a guy who is trying to earn a permanent move to Spurs, but instead you're bringing on someone that we know is leaving. Um, and look, and this is not to dig out Lucas Mora, but I'd have rather seen Romain Mundell come on. Romain Mundell plays on the left-hand side. Yes, he hasn't played for Spurs yet. He's had a, about three appearances on the bench so far. But he is a player in very good form right now, plays on the left. He also can play as a wing-back. So defensively, he'd also be quite responsible as well in trying to pull back and, and tuck in when needed as well. But, I mean, they put out this training video, didn't they, in midweek, where Mundell was absolutely roasting everyone on the pitch in every clip they showed. There's one of, I think it's Hoybier trying to dive in and like take his leg off, and he still gets around him. And it just... This has always been a gripe of mine, but also I think with fans as well, is there's always like this predictability of, oh, yeah, let's go to him. Let's use him. Yeah, we've always used him in the past. It doesn't have to be that way. There was no logic for me in not giving Dan Juma a hungry, fresh player trying to prove a point though that game time, especially against 10 men. You know, don't forget that. I think... I think it really gets lost about the fact that they were playing 10 men. <laughs> they could have put anyone on, really, um, other than Lucas in that moment. Um, and like I say, Mundell, he's a really tricky, um, wide man, plays on the left. He's right-footed, but he plays on the left and he cuts inside, a little bit like Sonny plays as well. Um, I, I just couldn't get my head around it. And it was one of those, 
And obviously it was Davinson first, wasn't it? I, I understood the reason behind Davinson was because Longlow was on a yellow card. There was a reason behind it. And they were worried that... Uh, who was down the right? Was it Awobi? Um, uh, yeah, it was Awobi. Yeah, it was Awobi. Yeah. So he was, he was getting a lot of instances where he was getting into good positions. They were worried he was going to bring him down. But my goodness, if you wanted a game to try and show off different decisions made in-game to Conte, this was not the game. There was a lot of moves that you know you could predict before the game had even started what those substitutions would be, and they unfortunately they proved to be it. And, and this is this is what Tottenham fans need, whether it comes from this interim spell or whether it comes from the next manager. They just need really progressive thinking, not this kind of almost safe, predictable decision making. Um, yeah, yeah, that's me. I could, I could rant for days about the Lucas Morris substitution, but I won't. Yeah, it's just one of the good one. You're just thinking when's Dan and now Dan June are gone to get a chance. It's it's what? Just over two months since he joined, four appearances. He scored on his debut and just he's barely had a kick since then. I think it's eleven minutes in, in the Premier League. It's yeah. It's just baffling. And I mean he must have been sat on the substitutes bench at Goodison Park thinking why did they make this move? Why didn't they sign for Everton? Because they'd have played a lot more. He it's, barely warmed up, didn't he? And I wonder whether yeah. that was a fear of putting him in front of the fans who would have been very, very unhappy with him for snubbing the move late on. But yeah, no, I agree with you. It's 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 a mind-boggling decision. Yeah, I know. Although Conte's gone and Stellini's now in charge, it just doesn't look like his predicament's going to change for him. Hopefully it does. There's nine games left. Something needs to change at Tottenham to get, obviously, these performances back on track. There's still a Champions League place to fight for. I just don't think you can keep persisting with the same team at the moment. But it just looks like it's going to be that way until the injuries, you know, start to clear up unless Stellini and Mason just decide to make some bold, bold decisions. But whether or not that happens uh, remains to be seen. Right, it's like, where... it's like bang, I was just going to say it's like banging your head against a wall, all constant. Oh, sorry, banging your head against a door trying to open it when you've got a key in your pocket and you just forgot you had yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's so weird, and you know, and he was one of the Everton journalists afterwards asked about Dan Juma, as you would as an Everton journalist, because you'd be like, "Why did you nick him from us at the last minute just to have him sit on the bench?" And Stellini's answer was so wishy-washy. It was so disappointing. It was it was that classic one he used to use about Jed Spence whenever I would ask about him. And it's like, oh, you know, you've got to understand there's a hierarchy. There's three big players in front of him. And it's like, no, because then you're just constantly saying, don't worry, lads, play as poorly as you want. You'll get through this. And it sends the worst possible message to anyone trying to get into that team. It's just like, well, you've got no hope. Because, you know, unless they're injured, you're not going to get a chance. And there's so many players in the last year or more that I think have only got their chance because of injuries. And that has to change with the new regime. Yeah. Right. As we're now, well, more than halfway through today's pod, Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, of course. If you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. If you're not aware, NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world. So that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Um, 
as you might have heard me say before, it's a service that I've used loads over the recent years, uh, whether it be kind of heading off abroad and wanting to watch the things that I pay for and subscribe to over here. Um, it allows you to switch your um, location to just being at home, even if you are in a totally different country. Um, it works the other way around, so you can make uh, your phone or device think you're in a different country while you're back home, which obviously has benefits as well. And just overall, it's very safe way to be able to surf the web wherever you may be, especially when you're using a public Wi-Fi because it locks down everything tight within your device so that nasty people can't get in there and take what they want. Um, and not only that, you know, the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. That's because you can you know, purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. Um, let's say, you know, you could book flights from other countries and they can be cheaper as well. So it means that you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There are a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four months, additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right. Shall we discuss the manager search at Tottenham now? It's just over, well, almost two weeks on since Antonio Conte uh, departed the club. A number of, you know, big names have been linked with the job. Maurizio Pochettino, uh, Julian Nagelsmann following his Bayern Munich exit. There's now uh, a couple more Premier League managers who've lost the job in the past week, uh, notably Brendan Rodgers and Graham Potter. So a number of managers uh, available in terms of, you know, Rodgers and Potter. Should they be two Tottenham consider for you? Ooh, mixed feelings. Mixed feelings on them. Potter, it's one of those classic ones where in 2021, I was absolutely happy with Potter as a, as a suggestion. Um, and to be honest, probably still would be. Um, the obvious issue is the aesthetics of it and how it looks of yet another Chelsea manager. But not only that, a Chelsea manager who's done really badly, let's be honest, hasn't worked out for him at all. A lot of reasons behind that. And, you know, we said it at the time, project manager going into a win-now club, which just was never really going to work. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a really difficult one with Potter. I suppose you could argue that Spurs did this with AVB in the past. He didn't have a particularly successful time at Chelsea, yet Spurs still went, way, let's grab him. Um, so you never know. Uh, it's very difficult, though, because like you read some of the stories about what was going on inside the dressing room and things like that that have come out of Chelsea. It does sound like a bit of, obviously only going off reports, but maybe there wasn't, he didn't hold the greatest respect there uh, from the big star players, I guess. Um, and ag again, that's only going on reports, so it, it may not be the case. But does he then come into that Spurs dressing room with the respect and authority that he needs to turn things around now? I don't know whether he does. Um, Brendan Rodgers is an interesting one. There's different... The pros for him is, yeah, you'd imagine he'd get him playing some good football. Um Obviously, for those who want James Madison, that might be a, a help if they wanted to try and bring him across. But then there's always been this kind of a strange relationship with Rodgers and Spurs. Um, I think Spurs were, more than a decade ago, were, tr were quite keen on trying to bring him in. 
Um, it didn't happen. And then ever since, they always seem to have kind of swerved away from him as a potential option, um, despite Brendan Rodgers trying to kind of... He always seems to say very positive things about Spurs in the media. So you don't want to go as far to say, oh, he's fishing for the job or anything, but he was always very complimentary about them. Um, and I do wonder whether that is something to do with it, the move not happening all that time ago. Um, out of the two, if I had to pick between those two, and I'm probably wouldn't to be fair i would probably go for potter um out of the two but i feel right now i don't think either would be the answer if you're trying to bring the fans back together with the club again um i don't think two managers have both been sacked from jobs where I mean, yeah, you could argue Rodgers over the longer period of time has made a big impact at Leicester, I, th- I think. You know, obviously he won the, the FA Cup with them um, has done some some good things with them. But obviously, especially going off of this season would be a tough ask. You know, some people might say, yeah, but Julian Nagelsmann was sacked this season. But I, I think that's a different thing. You know, that's a manager that lost three games this season. <laughs> um, there were other factors there. Whereas with these two guys, yeah, I, I think... I don't think that would be the great kind of Spurs need to make a move now that is not only the right fit for the club, but also has to be a good PR move. I think it's something that has to try and get the heat off of their back. I mean, yeah, it's not at the greatest of times for Spurs in the hierarchy. I mean, we've seen there's there's now this petition that's going around, isn't there? I've seen that as well. That's kind of gaining quite a few signatures on that for, I think it's... I think it's either leave your Enoch to go. Um, you know, we've seen the, the the season ticket decision, which we're going to talk about in a bit more detail uh, in a little while. They need to get this decision right uh, because look, some people, someone, so I can just hear the voices of people saying, "How many times have you said that?" <laughs> and I know, I admit, we are constantly saying they need to get the next one right. Um, but my goodness, I just feel like the noise now is growing to such a level that if they don't get this one right, it's the atmosphere, you know. I don't think the atmosphere is great now. I think it's such a fragmented fan base. It's such a, yeah, just an apathetic fan base as well right now, which is going to be the biggest problem for um, for Spurs. It's, it's even in these next two home games, is trying to get the fans to care again is going to be a big thing. And that's down to Stellini and Mason, I think, and the players. But in the longer scheme of things, it's down to the board, Daniel Levy, to to pick the right person. And there's some really good candidates out there as well. You know, they don't have to just rely on two managers that have just been sacked. There's so many more options out there. Yeah, there is. Uh, I definitely agree with what you're saying about Rodgers and Potter. I think if you went back two years when Tottenham were looking for a manager before the turn to Nuno. Uh, I think a lot of Tottenham fans, you know, would have desperately wanted Potter to come in, given the brilliant job he's uh, done at Brighton. I think both would be good fits for Tottenham, but the issue you've got now is, will fans just be remembering what's happened this season rather than in previous seasons? I think with Potter, always going to be a tough ask for him. At Chelsea, uh, as you've saying, the project manager going into club where you need to win now certainly not helped in the January transfer market with you know 
how many attackers did they sign? About eight attackers, no strikers. So, I mean, he was always going to have an uphill battle trying to, you know, try and form a team out of all these players uh, who's come in. And, yeah, uh, he's a good manager, Potter, but I don't think he's probably helped himself at Chelsea at times this season, uh, what's obviously resulted in him losing his position. But a number of clubs will be looking to appoint him. He could be a really, really good fit for Tottenham. Uh, So that's one we'll have to wait and see. With Rodgers, not had a good season at Leicester. They're in the bottom three, could potentially drop down to the championship. But I think you've got to remember what Rodgers has done previously at Leicester. Led them to an FA Cup. They finished fifth, two seasons in the, on the trot. Those two seasons probably really should have finished in Champions League places, but did run out a bit of steam in, in the running. Uh but on the whole, I think he's done a really, really good job at, at Leicester. I don't think he was probably helped in terms of their summer business. I can't remember how many players they brought in. It might have only been one or two. Uh, but I think at a time where he needed the squad to strengthen, uh, that wasn't the case. But I think both would be a good fit. Probably maybe wouldn't go down well with the fans at the moment, especially when you've got the likes of Nagelsmann, who's out of a job. Someone Pochettino about there's other candidates as well so yeah I'm with you I just think given everything surrounding the club at the moment it's got to be the right decision uh, but what I would say is whilst they might need a bit of time you know to come to this right decision they've got to use this time really really wisely now because Chelsea are in exactly the same boat oh, as them Chelsea but Chelsea have just thrown the cat amongst the pigeons, haven't they? They really have. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's been confirmed yet. We're recording pre-Christian Stellini's press conference on Thursday, uh, but it does look like Frank Lampard returning as interim head coach until the end of the season. So that gives, obviously, Todd Bowley at Chelsea, you know, a bit of time to come up uh, with the answer in terms of who they want as the head coach. So both really in the same boat at the moment. And, you know, Tottenham can't be caught sleeping here because, you know, Chelsea could sneak up and get who Tottenham see as their first choice. So, yeah, I think they've just got to use this time really, really wisely now. Yeah, I think for me, there's two candidates that would definitely, for me, would excite me um, immediately. That sounds weird, but you know what I mean (laughs) in terms of what they'll bring to Spurs. Um, and that for me would be Nagelsmann and Deserby. I really like the idea of both of those at the helm of Spurs for for differing reasons. I think the romantic side would I would love to also see Pochettino giving another go, but whether that's a now thing or not. And I'll be honest, as a bit of an outsider, the more and more I read about him, I do quite like the idea of Arna Slot. I do like reading him. He very much sounds like a Pochettino. He sounds like a Pochettino in the making. So. You know, Spurs have always looked for a person like Pochettino, which, yeah, I know that obviously that draws the questions of why don't you just get Pochettino? Um, But again, it's about convincing these people as well. And this is a sad thing about Tottenham right now is that despite everything, there's amazing training facilities, there's amazing stadium, a team that, let's be honest, despite all of my moans and everything, they are still fifth in the table. They're a, a team that, you know, if you get the right person in, you they will look at that and think, well, I can just take them on a little bit more than that. I can take them to the next step. Managers' egos are like that. 
but yet still I feel that they're having to convince people. You know, Nagelsmann, if you give him the choice of Chelsea and Spurs, he's going to Chelsea. It, it's it's no contest because of, even if they're not in the Champions League, which it looks like they're very unlikely to be Chelsea, um, the the money that any manager going into that to have the backing to do whatever they want with that squad is ridiculous compared to Spurs where it's like, well, you know, I can, I've got something out the back for you. I can give you a, uh, you know, it's not quite what you've asked for, but, you know, it might do the job. Uh, and that's what they're obviously coming up against. And Deserby, from everything I understand that, you know, there's been a little bit of initial contact with his camp and, and the kind of the sounds coming out of there have been a little bit like, mm, you know, kind of what, almost like a, why would I want to leave what I'm doing right now? Um, and, and I absolutely would understand that. You know, it's, it's, it's a very stable project at Brighton. He's done a terrific job. Everyone thought when Potter went, it was going to kind of go downhill a bit, but it hasn't. If anything, he's taken on to bigger levels. You know, every kind of stat you can look at for that team has increased and improved. Um, and his football is very good football. Honestly, I know it would be another Italian, and he's quite an emotional Italian from what it sounds like, and I think behind the scenes he can be a bit of a madcap chap from some of the people I've spoken to that know him, but I do think he's another character that would step in and, and try to grab Spurs by the scruff of the neck, and that's what they need. I think Nagelsmann is similar. He's very precise, exciting Yes, of course, I think some of the man management aspect of bigger stars he probably needs to work on. That's what was coming out of Bayern. But then let's be honest, at Spurs, he's not going to have as many of those big stars and egos um, to work with. So it would be a good fit. Pochettino, it's one of those that seems so obvious. <laughs> you kind of wonder <laughs> why has it not happened? And that's the biggest thing for me. It's like, why hasn't it happened? And then, look, we, we keep getting told there's little bits of reservations from either side and things. Some people have been taken out as meaning it's just definitely not going to happen. I don't think that's the case, but I do think there's a lot of convincing that needs to be done. And and if I'm Poch as well, who, let's be honest, is by the sounds of it, is going to be one of the top candidates for the Madrid job, you're probably just waiting to see how that shakes out as well. Um, and yeah, like I say, on slot as well, everything about it, the way he plays, the football he plays... They're raving about him in the Netherlands right now as the big next kind of Dutch coach that's coming out of their the system in a way, um, or if you can call it an entire country's style of football a system. Um, and I do wonder with Spurs, they made a mess with Ten Hag in 2021. They hung around, didn't appoint him when he was there to be appointed. They, they really kept him hanging on and eventually lost him did the option renewal, didn't he, at um, Ajax? And he obviously has gone to United and shown he's absolutely suited to the Premier League. So I wonder whether Spurs look back on that and think, ooh, that was really stupid, um, if, if they are able to criticise anything they've done in the past. Um, they look at that and they think, maybe we try and you know get the next version, the next one coming through and then not make the same mistake twice. But uh, this is why... Despite everything that's winding me up about this season, I'm kind of quite hopeful about next season because <laughs> it may be absolutely torturing myself here, but I kind of feel that there's so many good options out there. And, and I've had this conversation with some people that said, no, there isn't. Like, well, where are you getting this from? Like, you know, I don't think it, like, whether, whether these people will come to Spurs or not. But I, I, 
I struggle to see how Tottenham can look at the pool of people available right now that they could bring into this club and end up making another Nuno decision. Honestly, if they did, then yeah, absolutely. Just head out the door because you're never going to get anything right. If, if you can go into this summer and not manage to get a good candidate out of all of the ones that potentially could be on the market, whether that means you've got to pay for them or whether they're free agents, uh, it, it would be mind-boggling if they if they couldn't make the right decision out of that lot. Yeah. Uh, someone who I like, who has been linked with the job, I I can't see it happening. I think it might be too much of a risk, but it's Postacoglu at Celtic. Yeah. Yeah. Celtic fans absolutely rave about him. They absolutely love him. Uh, had a bit of a sticky start when he first went in last season, but you know, managed to win the league. He's got them playing really good football. Uh, he comes across so, so well. I think he could unite the fan base. But I just think it's it's one of these. He's coming from Scotland. Celtic probably expects us to win the Premiership every season. May, might be seen as a, a bit of a risk, but there's certainly no guarantees. Uh, in terms of a manager coming in and being successful at Spurs. is Conte Mourinho have shown. (laughs) Exactly. You've just got to take a chance on someone. So, yeah, let's let's wait and see uh, what happens. He's definitely someone they've looked at. He's definitely someone they've looked at. Same with Vincent Kompany. Vincent Kompany is doing a wonderful job at Burnley right now. And I know that Simon Davies, Spurs head of coaching methodology, who worked a lot with... um, company over the years will be definitely will be pushing his kind of claims as well but I think they're both in a similar boat those two is a little bit of the unknown I mean you could argue that Arn Slot is similar Um, you know it's it's one of those in the Netherlands although I would say maybe with Feyenoord you know they're they're not the team that is supposed to win that league every season Uh, you know we know it's Ajax really the ones that should be um, with with their traditions and history and everything so, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they do take a gamble. Um, but are they too scared to take a gamble? I don't know. I think it'd be it'd be a huge, huge gamble, given everything surrounding the club at the minute. It's a gamble what could potentially pay off, or it could be another new no. So, yeah, let, let's wait and see. Right. Season ticket prices. Uh, they were confirmed by the club yesterday. Prices have been frozen. For the 2023-24 campaign, I think that's certainly welcome news to Tottenham fans. A number of clubs, you know, have increased the uh, season ticket prices for next season. I think Arsenal and Manchester United uh, are a couple as well. So, yeah, I think all in all, good news for fans, isn't it? Of course. I mean... (laughs) Let's be honest. <laughs> I don't think this was going to be Spurs' original decision. I think we can. Uh, I think we can safely say that that was not the original plan. Um, Spurs may well deny that and say that's completely rubbish. We were always going to freeze those season ticket prices. I personally, I don't think so. From the noises that I was hearing beforehand, I do think a lot of credit, and I don't think enough has gone to them. Should go to the Tottenham Hotspur Supporters Trust. I think they had a very kind of important role in this and really ramming it home that this would be a bad move. You know, some of us journalists were also putting that, you know, football.london, certainly we had articles as well saying and if they raised their prices after a season like this, it was going to be the PR move from hell pretty much. 
you know, Spurs have got very, very expensive season tickets as it is. Um, I, I don't know. Some people have told me they're the most expensive in the league. I'm not, I've, I, I don't know whether they are, so I, I can't I can commit to saying they definitely are, but what I can imagine they definitely would be up there among the most if they're not. Spurs, of course, would argue that's because of the facilities, because of what you're using. And also, and this is the, I know people don't like hearing things from a business point of view, but when it comes to supply and demand, unfortunately, um, well, I say unfortunately, fortunately for Spurs, unfortunately for those who kind of want prices to come down, is that there is a waiting list and there are unfortunately people waiting for these tickets. So uh, someone the other day said to me, oh, you know, you look at Man City, Man City, they, they were saying to me it was like 200 quid less for a season ticket. But without trying to do down Man City, you do see at times Man City are struggling to fill out that stadium. And at times that, that's been a criticism that they aren't filling out that stadium all the time. Whereas Spurs, you know, it's, it's pretty much 62,000 every week, isn't it now? Um, and there are more people waiting for a season ticket. So unfortunately, if you're going to look at it in the cold, hard light of a business day, <laughs> um, that's probably the reason why those tickets, I saw some people saying they should go down the ticket prices, but they're not because they know they're going to sell those season tickets. I think some of the premium season tickets have still gone up. I've had some people who have got those that have told me that it's like 6% rise on theirs. So not everyone's kind of got out of that. Um, and I do wonder whether they'll now put up food and drink prices to, <laughs> to make up for the lost uh, revenue that they would have got. I don't know. It'd be interesting to keep an eye on those. But yeah, no, honestly, a lot of credit needs to go to the trust. Trust sometimes get a bit of a, um, a bad rep or rap because they're, I don't know, people expect them to be, I don't know, they expect them to be like really aggressive in the way they do things and things like that. And that, although I know some people want to see stuff done that way, that actually isn't the best way most of the time. Um, I remember, Do you remember we had that weird period where it was like the club and the trust weren't even talking? When, the, when it started to get a little bit more aggressive and it, it ended up actually damaging the relationship and having less of an impact. Um, you know, differing factors. And I'm sure definitely the club <laughs> were not uh, making a lot of right decisions as unfortunately they, they do seem to uh, fall into the trap of. But yeah, no, massive trust, uh, massive praise to the trust this time um, for what they did. And then they, uh, I do think that they should take a hefty dose of responsibility for getting that um the tickets frozen i think the club you'd hope would have felt they would have been mad to have gone through with a season ticket price increase after well what the fancy is a lot of unkept promises you know that was the phrase used in the trust statement uh, a couple of weeks back and it's absolutely spot on the club have promised a lot of things that they haven't delivered on in terms of the football and and the fans enjoying it so yeah this is as, as good as you could possibly get, I think, a prize a price freeze. Um, and, yeah, and hopefully it's the start of uh, some good decisions by the club because they need to start making some. Most definitely. Uh, we think we've only got a few minutes left, so shall we discuss Saturday's Premier League match against Brighton? As you were saying at the start of the podcast, could potentially be a defining game for Tottenham because Brighton are, you know, right behind Spurs in the Premier League table. A uh, couple of games in hand still to play. Tottenham now out of the top four following those uh, wins for Newcastle United and Manchester United on Wednesday. Yeah. 
Tottenham have to win this game, really, if they've any chance of finishing in the top four, because you're looking at the f- fixtures for the rest of the month. Bournemouth at home will be a tough ones. You know, Bournemouth are scrapping for the lives. Then you've got, in the space of a week, uh, Newcastle United away, Manchester United at home, Liverpool away. So, you know, if things go bad for Tottenham, those final four games in May, you know, they could really, really have an uphill battle just for a European place. That's huge. This is an absolutely huge game for so many reasons. It's huge for everything you just said. Uh, I think if you're going to gain any momentum from anywhere, it has to come from this match for what's to come next. I do think also it's going to be an incredibly awkward match because I think Spurs are going to... There's, well, let's just put it this way. There's going to if they if they play like they have been in the last few games, there's going to be such a huge contrast in the style of play, and those Spurs fans are going to see a manager and his team playing exactly the way that they want their team to play, and that is going to cause a lot of frustration in that stadium if it goes the wrong way. Um, Daniel Levy's been abroad recently. I don't know whether he's going to be back in, uh, for this match or not. But it's going to be very interesting to see him look down and watch a Roberto De Zerbi team and how they play. Um, and it's one of those where Spurs lose, <sighs> any tiny, tiny silver lining might come from it, is that it may absolutely convince Levy in his mind he has to go and get this man regardless of the cost. Um, but I'll be honest, I'd, I'd rather Spurs win because we, we want them to end the season well. But... Uh, yeah, huge game. Huge but very awkward game. Yeah, top four. I know Tottenham are out of it at the moment, but Champions League place is still there up for grabs because although Newcastle won the last four at the turn of the year, they were pretty inconsistent, struggling to turn draws into wins. You know, there's no guarantee they're going to win every game up until the end of the season. Manchester United have a lot of football left to be played in the Europa League and FA Cup, providing they go all the way in the competition. So there could be a few more slip-ups for them. So Tottenham's still very much in it. It's just about consistency now. In terms of the team then, what are we expecting? I don't think there's a lot he can really do unless there's a positive injury news update in today's press conference because you're looking at the options on the bench at Everton. They have two keepers, two young lads, Dan Juma, and Lucas, the only attacking options. Lucas obviously suspended now. There's no left back. It's not like he can really move to a back four unless he wants to put Clement Longley or Jaffa Tenganga there. Yeah. I hate the two goalkeepers on the bench thing. It's one of, it's one of those silly little things that winds me up. It's like, why not give a kid some experience of match day and being in the squad? I don't get that. Um, uh, I can't see how he changed it. The only one would be Dan Juma. It would be. It'd be bringing someone out of the team for him or changing the system, maybe playing long lay as a left-back um, and doing that and maybe going to a 4-2-3-1. They've just got to make the Spurs fans happy. Like I said earlier with Stellini, it's like one of the easiest things for him to do now is just try and make the Spurs fans happy. Um Look, he could go to Conte in the summer and say, look, you know, I had to do it. It was kind of part of the job. I had to try and make the, the fans, get the fans on side. I'm sure he could explain it away why he was destroying Conte's uh, long-held and traditional tactics. But yeah, just even if it's not the, the team, just just tweak some things. Get them playing some nice football again. There's enough talent in that team for that to happen. We've just got to figure out the way to make it happen. 
Yeah, even if Tottenham don't win this game, I think you've just got to give fans, you know, some positivity, something to cling on to uh, for the rest of the season. Right, I think that's it for today's podcast. As Ali, you've got to head off to Hotspur Way for Christian Stellini's press conference. Uh, as always, thank you for listening and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.